Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Uh, joining me once again is our old friend, Quarter to Three blogger, Tom Check. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I would be remiss if I didn't offer to get you a coffee, but I'm not going to do it, because before we recorded, you showed me a video for this cool AeroPress thing that you're using these days, Rob. So, Rob, I demand that you get me a coffee. Actually, you know, I would be happy to send you one. Uh, I have become such a French, uh, such an AeroPress convert uh, that really it even unseated my love for the uh, the, the most beloved French press uh, that I've been using. Oh, for it's years. just arrived. The coffee you sent me. I am taking a sip right now. Oh, Rob, that's a good coffee. Oh Thank my you goodness, so much. it's a Festivus miracle. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, so the reason, uh, the reason I wanted to get together with you today, Tom, is to mm-hmm. talk about uh, Company of Heroes 2, which we've both mm. uh, reviewed recently, and uh, came to, I, I think, perhaps a, a similar sense of, of disappointment, of being a bit underwhelmed by it. But I was really struck when I read your review of Company of Heroes 2 that um, you seemed really... Uh, to object to a lot of the decisions uh, they'd made and a lot of the direction uh, they had they had taken this taken this game, mm-hmm. and so I just kind of want to talk to you about uh, maybe you know to start us off, what sort of hopes expectations uh, did you take with you into Company of Heroes two, and what kind of uh, you know made them apparently turn to ash in your mouth. <laughs> That is a that's yeah that that's a, a vivid description of kind of the taste sensation of Company of Heroes too. Um, I, the hopes and expectations I have going into a game, Rob. I I don't know about you. I'm not really big on previews. I don't give a lot of credence to press releases and uh, interviews and what developers say they're going to do. I mean, I I tend to pick up a game and play it, and for the most part, the sum total of my expectations consists of a developer's body of work. So when I sit down to play the latest RTS from Relic, the guys who gave us the first Company of Heroes, the guys who did uh, the the Dawn of War series, the guys who are, quite simply, amongst the best real-time strategy developers working today, or of all time, as far as I'm concerned, as far as uh, the real-time strategy games I've played, when I sit down to play their latest game, I can't help but have fairly high expectations, specifically when that game is a sequel to the original Company of Heroes, which I think is one of the biggest problems with Company of Heroes 2. The first Company of Heroes holds up great. I'm still playing it. It's been in my RTS rotation uh, consistently since it came out. So I, I think those are the expectations that, in a way, helped turn Company of Heroes 2 to ashes in my mouth, is just how good Relic is at what they do, or, or how good I feel they've been in the past, and how well Company of Heroes holds up. Um, so, so part of me is tempted to say, well, you know, it's their own fault. They made this awesome game. Uh, it's a really tough act to follow. But I also just, re- as you mentioned, really object to some of the decisions they made in terms of how to follow up on Company of Heroes 1. Uh, so that's a lot of what goes into it uh, for me. Now, I, I do want to say, though, I don't, I don't think, like, you and I did have a similar sense of, of disappointment. Uh, did you have similar expectations going in? I mean, had you, I, I listened to the podcast where you talked to Quinn Duffy before it came out. Um, did that affect your expectations at all? What, what were you expecting going in? You know, so it's interesting. So we had that whole conversation, uh, you know, a month or two ago about, uh, betas, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
and, and we we chatted a bit about uh, actually the the company of Heroes Two Beta and why I was playing it and really enjoying it and and why you were choosing to uh, sort of stay away. And I guess um, you know what's interesting is I is I did enjoy my time with the with, with the beta, but in retrospect, what occurred to me was that. I even said this in, in a piece I wrote about my my time with the beta is that it, it, in in some ways it was just great to be getting back to Company of Heroes again and it was uh you know you, you know how it is where sometimes you will have a game that you love but you just won't play it uh for for a long time because you know this is kind of our job we try to stay current uh, you don't have as much time as you'd like and so stuff kind of uh you know gets pushed to you know the shelf and it, it doesn't come down to play uh, very often so having a reason to play company of heroes again was fantastic and i was really enjoying sort of getting back in that rhythm with the company of heroes 2 beta i think where things began to uh, what what set me up, I guess, for a little bit of disappointment was I overestimated the degree to which, uh, you know, once the release version hit, uh, there was a possibility that I would find more interesting stuff to do uh, in Company of Heroes 2. Uh, you know, the beta was really me getting uh, reacquainted with Company of Heroes in general, but once I had the, the, the full game in my hands, it, it you know, I was able to really start looking at, okay, but well, what's really new here? What's really different from Company of heroes, and uh, you know, I think you raise a good you raise a good question in your review. Are the changes they made from Company of Heroes for the better? And you know that you know what 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 sort of I guess got me a little bit is is that in a lot of in a lot of cases it just didn't feel different enough, and the ways in which it was different uh, were were a little frustrating. I, I should say uh, you know. If there's an expectation that I that maybe I should be held accountable for that's you know I should I should be upfront about this, is is that I have long been looking forward to when Relic would get around to making a company of heroes set on the Eastern Front. Yeah. Uh, you know, as our friend Bruce Garrick, uh, has, Bruce Garrick has has you know expressed so eloquently on some amazing pieces written on uh, quarter three. Actually, this is such a fertile ground for storytelling, for wargaming. Uh, it's just a fascinating uh, and, and frankly unbelievable uh, you know story in history. And so I was always really excited for. When Company of Heroes would sort of ditch the, you know, frankly overplayed, uh, you know, Western Front, uh, Band of Brothers motif, and, and maybe go east and and see what uh, type of gameplay, what type of story uh, you could you could tell there. And I, I guess I was a little surprised that to find that you know it didn't feel all that different. Well, I want to confess actually another expectation I had, and I was really glad to see you mention this in in your review on Joystick. Um, I also I love the, the the distinct factions that they made, and I remember you talking to Quinn about this. You know, by the time Company of Heroes had was it one or two expansion packs, but by the time it was basically Company of Heroes Tales of Valor when I booted up, yeah. there are four factions in there. The factions all have the different commander trees, and the command trees all have two branches. So that when I'm playing, I get a very distinct, vivid sense of the two different German factions and the two different Allied factions. Uh, I love how much personality Relic has put into those. And furthermore, they did an amazing job putting personality into all the Warhammer factions, which is a lot easier because that's crazy sci-fi stuff. So 
that colored my expectation, knowing, okay, hey, they're going to do Eastern Front now. And as you mentioned in your joystick review, part of my expectations were the Imperial Guard faction from uh, whichever yes. Warhammer expansion got that. So I was thinking, wow, they did some really cool stuff with the Commissar sacrificing dudes and with all this this idea of human waves and having more cheap infantry uh, stuff that is very evocative of what the Russians did on the Eastern Front. So part of my expectations were, hey, look how cool the Imperial Guard was. I can only imagine how cool the Russians are going to be when we get to the Eastern Front. And nothing nothing like that was in there. I mean, we, I think the... Con- Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, I, we should talk a little bit about the Imperial Guard, actually, because honestly, sort of the, the memory of the Imperial Guard from Dawn of War 2 kind of loomed large over my approach yeah. to Company of Heroes 2. Because I kind of felt like with uh, the... I want to say it was the Dawn of War 2 Retribution uh, expansion that brought the Imperial Guard in. I think that's um, right. You know, when 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 that Imperial Guard faction showed up, I felt like we were seeing a sneak preview of what right. the Imperial Two <laughs> probably would look like. And one of the things, I mean, there, there's like nothing I don't love about the faction design there. Um, it's got a ton of flavor. But one of the great things that you know, it, it's a faction that plays a little differently from the other ones because the the Imperial Guard, uh, true to sort of the Warhammer origins, uh, which are also kind of inspired by the Red Army and World War Two, uh, the Imperial Guard are very much about you know a lot of trash units uh, who try to gain the advantage by heavy weapons support and fighting from fixed positions, and then a, a fairly small number of really you know good units that can make a difference at the, at the crucial point. But they really are kind of like these. Uh, you know, it, it really is like these long lines of riflemen, uh, you know, fighting from, you know, like fortifications with armor backing them up. And then, you know, a few elite units here and there to sort of uh, pitch in and turn the tide. And that's and, and, and that that's really that's brilliant faction design. I, I loved how that faction played. And I was thinking, well, if you took this back to uh, Company of Heroes, which I still maintain is a more interesting uh, RTS than Dawn of War 2, if you were to, and, and certainly I think a little more expansive one. If you took this back to Company of Heroes, uh, you could do really amazing things with sort of the more rambling and more uh, more uh, the, the greater variety of map design you find in Company of Heroes. And I was really kind of hyped to see how that would play out. And it didn't. I think the conventional wisdom is that the Russians are just the U.S., basically, is that they just kind of reskinned. And this is very glib to put it this way. It's not quite that bad. But the idea is that they reskinned the, the Americans and now they're they're Russians, but with, I think, maybe a few more conscripts or, or whatever. Uh, and you also have to wonder, you know, there's a there's a troubled history with uh, their, their publisher, THQ, yeah. um, and at one point it was dead. They didn't know if they would get bought in the auction. Sega picked them up, gave them a few months to finish it up and release it. Um, you, you know, how much did that affect what we ended up getting? You know, what game ended up in our hands? How much of that is a casualty of the business realities? And did Relic ultimately hope to do something more ambitious with the Eastern Front? I, I would like to think they did. I would like to think that somewhere down the line, Company of Heroes 2 is more of a business reality than a game design disappointment. Um, so, Rob, you mentioned, and this was, I think, your the way you closed your review, is that it's good to be playing Company of Heroes again, and that overall colored your experience with Company of Heroes 2. Um, let, me, let me ask you this. I'd be curious how you'd respond to this. 
Is there anything in Company of Heroes 2 that you feel is is better or obsolete or because a lot of times you get a sequel and you play it and you're like wow i could never go back to the original there's so much there, there are cool things in here that i would really miss if i went back to the original is there anything if you were to go back to the original company of heroes that you would miss from company of heroes 2 because i, I want to talk if there is i want to talk about those features and, and why you like them in ter- like in terms of like core features, not really. I, I like. I we should talk. We, we'll have to talk a, a bit about the uh, the winter maps and, and the blizzards because I actually like those as a fun sort of twist in my strategy cocktail. Uh, but in terms of you know, th- does my game have to have that, or would I would I would I pine for it terribly? Eh, I, I I think it's a it's it's a fun alternate mode uh, to 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 a battle. It was a neat addition. Uh, it certainly looks pretty cool. But in terms of uh, is is there anything is there anything I could I would really be pining for if I just went back to Company of Heroes uh, as it stood at the end of all its expansions? N- the answer is not really. Right. And to me, that's a huge failing in a sequel. If you can't put out a sequel that makes me think I would rather play this in the original, you've completely failed at what you're trying to do. And that's a lot of the disappointment that I think I felt. You know, that that's sort of what I want to get through in my review is that there's nothing here that makes me want to play this instead of the original. Uh, and and that's a cardinal sin when you're making a sequel. Uh, can we talk about the winter maps then? Because you that was something that I. I think that's where we probably most disagree. Uh, you seem to enjoy that uh, stuff, whereas I kind of thought it was just extra busy work that didn't really add much. I, I, I feel. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was interested to see that, and I could sort of see where it is. I mean, it, it sort of does uh, seem like uh, like like busy work, or I, I or I could see that point of view. But I actually. We talked on this podcast before about my curious love of logistics and sort of the setting the stage for combat operations and everything. And I actually really enjoyed the sort of different rhythm that Company of Heroes 2 gets when snow and blizzards are in play. Uh, because I do think some of the choices it imposes are kind of kind of interesting. Like the the one I keep coming back to is those moments where the blizzard's closing in; it's getting really bad, uh, and yet you really need to go out there and drive some guys off a point, and you know get get you know you need a fuel point. You need one right now, and you can't let them keep it. So you've got to go, and you don't have you know the half tracks to get your guys there you've just got to send your guys out there to freeze to death but before they do hopefully they're going to capture that point i enjoy having that sort of that sort of decision imposed i i find the it creates a little it creates a little dramatic arc within the battle uh you know the roll of the dice the the snow's closing in and we've just got to get it done before we all freeze to death uh i i kind of liked that and honestly i kind of enjoyed building the uh the little campfires uh as, as much as you hated that, I, I actually enjoyed the uh, you know what, what I call staging the battlefield, where you know before the blizzard comes, I'm thinking, okay, so how am I going to hold this? Where am I guys going to be fighting from? And I want to make sure the other guy's going to freeze if he comes after me. So where's a good place to set up a campfire for my guys to sort of refresh and warm up during during combat, but they can still defend effectively. So I kind of enjoyed that uh, sort of laying the groundwork for the next set of operations uh, that. That was, uh, you know, that was that was fun to me. I, I I think there's a reason that most 
real-time strategy games don't fiddle with weather or day-night cycles. Um, this, this idea that the battlefield is going to going to change over the course of playing it uh, in a global way that affects how the units work. Mm -hmm. Some do play with this. World of Warcraft 3, or not World of War, Warcraft 3 did have day-night cycles, and you would constantly see it ticking around, and there would be changes during night, and I think some races would get a, bon a bonus at night. Um, but it was a regular thing. It was a consistent cycle that was part of the game. It wasn't something that would just be sprung on you. Uh, and I think the reason that, that most RTSs don't do it is... From the player's perspective, it's like being occasionally punished. You know, I get my units set up. I'm going to come attack you. I'm ready. Oh, here's a blizzard. Now my guys are taking damage. All right, I've, I've just been frustrated. Uh, and and I, I understand conceptually that that can be cool. And uh, that, that does add a new twist. But from a design standpoint and from a, a standpoint of the flow of an RTS... I just think it's a bad idea, and in theory, I really liked it. In practice, I like. I thought it was kind of cool, maybe twenty percent of the time, but eighty uh, percent of the time, I just found it really annoying. And why am I doing this? And yeah, it looks cool, but I just wish it would go away already. Um, I I just feel that it's something like this is. It's like a feature, like. That looks good on paper, but when you play test it, when you run it through the ringer, when you let people bang on it, it's the sort of thing that you might want to consider taking out. Because I just feel that in, in practice, in theory, in practice, it's just frustration. It's needless. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that when you know when we had when we had Quinn Duffy on the show and Shane Neville was there, I got the sense that uh, Shane was maybe a little more reserved about uh, the the weather system than I was. I think I think Shane also had some some issues with it uh, that we weren't going to get into uh, on on that show. But uh, you know, I just you know most of, in most cases, I would totally agree with what you're saying, Tom. Like it just is a general principle. But I don't think it's it, for me. It didn't feel arbitrary, and so I didn't get that frustration. It's you know, if if weather systems and uh, if weather systems can sometimes just seem like random punishment, uh, a bit like you know Sim City, where haha, you know now a, a fire breathing dragon just torched half your town. Screw you. Uh, it, you know that can be a little frustrating. Here, I, I, you know, you it, it follows a fairly predictable rhythm, uh, so you know when you get these windows open to just you know send your guys around the map, and when those windows are going to be closed, and you got to worry, uh, and it gives you a heads up as to it does, when, yes. when you know it's sort of a countdown, and so there's I, I actually enjoy that frantic. Oh, okay, now we've got to okay, this fight's not going to go well, so I just pull back and start building campfires. Uh, this position I think I can take, uh, so I'm going to go all in and hopefully I can uh, get set up before the blizzard hits. I, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy that pacing a lot. It didn't, it didn't sort of trip that frustration uh, wire for me. So it let me point out though something else that it does do that uh, I, I'm not convinced is very well thought out. Uh, it, it skews the balance towards armor. I feel inordinately. Uh, and towards vehicles, because armor and dudes in trucks don't suffer, you know, they mm -hmm. suffer the reduced visibility, but you are suddenly punished if you have more of an infantry-heavy strategy in that particular match. Uh, if I'm mainly using tanks, and I feel that the game, that the, the balance in Company of Heroes 2 is so egregiously pushed towards vehicles, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's a real problem with the game. So if I'm heavy into vehicles, blizzards don't matter as much. Whereas if my if my opponent is trying to do clever stuff with infantry, a blizzard is really going to screw him over. 
uh, I feel that that's a byproduct of the weather system that I don't think is very well thought out. And, and so that's another thing that bothers me about blizzards. You know that that actually that is that is a great point. Actually, is, is that it does it does favor uh, our armor strategies, especially when you consider that uh, sort of the nature of Company of Heroes is there's never enough fuel to go around. Uh, somebody's always either uh, getting ahead in the armor game or catching up. Uh, the fuel points become sort of uh, these killing fields, uh, so that you can sort of stay ahead in that race. Um, and yeah, this this the the weather does create a bit of a problem there. I also think, and this is something maybe I want to talk a little bit about regarding the faction design, is just, uh, you know, for for all that armor suddenly matters, um, it still doesn't feel like, uh, like the in terms of the variety of armor on the battlefield, uh, in terms of how the armor matches up, uh, it just doesn't. This is an area where it just didn't feel like an Eastern Front game. This is, I think, this is one of the main reasons why the Russians feel so much like the Americans, is because when you first encounter a Panzer IV, uh, the standard like uh, the standard German medium tank with the, your own uh, Russian T-34, your standard medium tank, and that Panzer IV takes its first shot, it just tears a huge like huge chunk of health off that T-34 in a very familiar way. It is pretty much, it, as far as I can tell, it is pretty much the exact uh, ratio of damage as when a Sherman would come under fire from Panzer IV. And I think that just, that, that you just instinctively, that just, that just bothered me so much because, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the vision of the Eastern Front is, you know, battles like Kursk and just monstrous Russian tanks, uh, you know, the Stalin II or the KV series. Even the T-34 was a really great medium tank. And here, once again, they've sort of imposed this, oh, but one side has to have really weak armor compared to the other guys. And right. it's like, yeah, but I, but I saw that dynamic. I, I played that game, and I, I think I'm done with it. So could, I, so could we have a game where you have different tanks, but you know, not not, you know, but but not this clear disparity as to uh, the game favoring one one guy's mobile strategy versus the other. What's the uh, the KV one? Because I, I think that's a complaint I hear a few often is that there's no KV one in there. Like there's a particular huge, like a big ass Soviet tank. That's not in the game. Is that correct? That people want? Uh, okay. So the KV, the KV is in the game. Uh, it's, so it's uh, like a flamethrower tank, right? No, it's, it's the, the, oh. the flamethrower tank is something else, but the KV, the KV is in the game. Uh, it's sort of a big armored, uh, armored box, uh, that, that isn't really great as an anti-tank, uh, tank, but it's, it's, it's almost unkillable. It's, it's totally in the game. Um, I think what people might've been, um, more, there, there was an improved model, the KV2, which quickly overtook it. Uh, that, that, that I do not think is in the game. Uh, but, but I think the bigger issue is just some of the cool late war Russian stuff just doesn't make an appearance. Uh, the Stalin series doesn't show up. Uh, and the T-34 actually became a really capable tank in its own right. The T, the, uh, the, the T-34-85, uh, was more than a match for most German tanks, uh, short of, like, the Panther. And, and this game is, the, 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 this game just feels so familiar in terms of how these units match up. It, it, this is, I think, where it, it's just the, the matchup is, is, is so familiar from Company of Heroes that it feels like I, I get this little bit of feeling like, oh god, but if I wanted this, I'd just fire up Company of Heroes again. 
Exactly right. That's sort of my takeaway as well. Now I'm not I'm not enough of a like I don't I don't have the sort of hardware grognar cred that you do. Um, but the thing that gets me more about the armor balance in the game, and what I really miss from the original Company of Heroes, uh, is the role of armor and the way fuel is important. Because I feel it's also, and this bothers me more than any lack of actual Eastern Front specific hardware that, that I hear you talking about, um, the, the resource model and the way fuel works, I think, has been completely undermined in Company of Heroes 2. And I didn't talk much about this in, in the review because I wasn't really – it was kind of one of those balanced things that I wasn't really sure that I wanted to to go out on a limb and, and talk about. But having played it more now, I've decided I really hate this. So what bothers me more about the armor model – uh, is the way that you, you described, Rob, in the blizzard. You know, one of the interesting decisions you might have to make in a blizzard is, oh, I need that that fuel point. Um, and I get it. I get what you're saying. But what what happens in Company of Heroes 2 is, no, you never need that fuel point because one of the things they added is on any personnel point or whatever that basic resource is called for yep. for just soldiers yep. on any personnel point you can build an upgrade to make it either a munitions or a fuel point so in the original company of heroes the trickle of fuel to either faction was controlled ruthlessly rigidly by the map design a fuel point was the only way you were going to get fuel, and they were rare, and they were important. And once anybody was good enough at Company of Heroes to understand that, that would become a huge focal point for, for many battles. That's never going to happen. That doesn't happen in Company of Heroes 2, because any point can become a fuel point. Whereas the progression of fuel onto the map was carefully controlled previously, now it's just another facet of... It's basically base building. You now can boom your economy. You know, you can rush to fuel. You can decide how quickly tanks come onto the battlefield. That's now in the control of the players. And my takeaway, it seems they wanted to do that to, I guess, make the game more accessible or make it more like other RTSs. But what it does is it robs the strategic points of importance. Um, I never need to set out into a blizzard to get a fuel point because I can just hang back and build fuel points on my the, the territory I've already captured. So what that does is, in Company of Heroes originally, the introduction of armor on the battlefield was a huge sh watershed moment. You know, once that happened, the rules changed, and that was part of the beauty of that game's design. Now that happens more readily. It happens sooner, I feel, uh, because it's something that the players can set up, and. I don't know if this is the case, but I think a, a complaint that I've seen about the meta game, and by meta game I mean the overall balance, not the campaign or, or the progression with those little unlockables, but the overall balance in competitive games. I don't know if this is true because I haven't played online competitive very much. That's not really my bag, uh, and I don't like the game enough to where I would really plug away at it that much. But one of the complaints that I've seen is that matches tend to play out like this. You start out as the, the Russian player is just trying to rush with his conscripts, is just trying to overwhelm the German player. If he can't do that, once the Germans get armor on the field, it's pretty much over at that point. So it's all about the Germans being able to quickly get armor on the field. Now, I don't know if that holds up over the long term in terms of how the... the the overall balance works if you look at all the matches played, but that's a complaint I've seen in a few places. 
um, is that the overall metagame structure is pretty much solidified because it's all about the Germans getting as much fuel as they can quickly enough to push their armor advantage. Um, and I think that's because, for whatever reason, Relic decided to lay bare their previously strict resource model about how quickly fuel was introduced to the map. Hmm. So, I'll also look into the, that 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 metagame issue a little bit, uh, just because. Yeah, I, I I have not I have not followed up with that as closely as as I perhaps should have, uh, but. I have to say I, I'm not entirely sure I agree I, I agree with your diagnosis of the problem of the uh, little control point upgrades you can okay. build. Uh-huh. Uh, because I kind of feel like uh, first of all you, first of all in the previous game you could build upgrades for control points. I remember this. Only you, you only totally to upgrade could. right only to protect them and to increase their their uh, the resource. Like you couldn't make munitions or personnel right. give you fuel, but you could improve the flow, and you definitely should do that. Uh, but you couldn't get fuel anywhere other than a fuel point. Right. Uh, so I, I kind of feel like I still felt like fuel points were really crucial in this game because simply the the amount of fuel they gave you was. Uh, you know, really high compared to what even your upgraded point could do. What the upgraded points allow you to do, at least, is okay. You, if the other guy gets the rushes out to the fuel points, mm-hmm. you're not totally screwed yet. You can still hang on, and and with these with these sort of uh, fuel point upgrades for your uh, manpower uh, control points, you can still manage to field an armored force, or at least like you can get a tank out there. Um, you'll have to be on the defensive while you do that, but you can get that tank out there, and if you use it well, you right. can sort of maybe rack up a few kills, open the map back up, take that fuel point, start going into armor. I felt like it actually addressed something that sometimes bothered me a little bit in Company of Heroes, which was that if you lost the if if you lost you know if if there's three fuel points on the map, right, and your opponent gets two and you grab one, and you don't immediately start battling for that second one if if that disparity continues for a few minutes, you're going to get run off the map with armor now admittedly, there's a lot of cool like infant ways infantry and uh support weapons could take out armor in company of heroes, but that was still kind of the that was still kind of the gist that i that I was getting in company of heroes. What I like about this is it gives you a little bit more of a grace period before that disparity becomes fatal. So I don't know that I, I don't necessarily know that they, they've blown their economy apart, especially when you consider that it, it's not as if those other points are secure anyways, because the nature of Company of Heroes is, you know, things are constantly being fought over the entire me- Like, if you try to hold a front line in Company of Heroes, it's kind of a losing effort. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's sort of who can best, like, you know, best win the flow of the map. Uh, so I, I just, I, I feel like it gives you a chance at least to maybe in, in a more defensive match where you fall behind in fuel to at least get some armor out there and see if maybe you can open the game back up and uh, you know get back in it. That that was kind of my take on it. I didn't see these huge problems crop up with it, but I also haven't played. I haven't followed the uh, the metagame conversation too closely. Well, it's also it. I mean, my my point is though that it it's it's taking 
that flow, it's taking that decision out of the hands of the map designers. And that's a design decision, and if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But when you talk about, you know, if you play on a map and there are three fuel points and one guy gets the middle one, you know, you're playing on a map that's designed to play that way, or somebody who captures that third, that odd number fuel point, will get an advantage. If you don't like that, play on a map where the fuel points are evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got each got two on each side. So what I'm saying is that previously, that was a facet of the map design. The map design controlled the, fuel, the flow of fuel. Now, it's no longer part of the map design. And I, I guess you could say, yeah, that's a, a legitimate way to do it. But that's how pretty much every, not every, but that, that's, that was one of the things that was special, I thought, about Company of Heroes, is that something as important as fuel, as when armor is introduced, was in control of the, the map designer. They determined that. Uh, for whatever reason, Company of Heroes 2, Relic decided, you know what, we're not gonna, we're gonna turn that over to the players. And that then opens it up to this idea that, okay, you can just rush to tanks as, you know, you can basically do a, I guess it would be a boom, you could boom to tanks, uh, whenever you want. Uh, you know, you don't have to get a certain number of fuel points in order to bring your tanks out. Uh, so, you know, I guess it's a, it's a difference in philosophy. You know, do you want that to be part of the map design? Do you want it in control of the players? And I just kind of missed the point in Company of Heroes where I was keenly aware of how important that fuel point was um, in the original game. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about so some of the other changes, though, from the original game. Uh, if we went back to the original game, Rob, would you miss the intelligence bulletins? No. <laughs> no, I would not, Tom. Come on, you can add, Rob, you can add 3% accuracy to your armored car. Oh, my God. Come on, Rob. Is... You can... 3% accuracy. It's going to hit... No, no, but I can't... But No, Tom. But I can't <laughs> just add 3% accuracy to my armored car, can I? I can't just go out there and choose from among a robust menu of buffs that I could somehow craft into a winning game plan. Uh, I couldn't just choose the buffs I wanted, could I? I'd have to do something first, wouldn't I? Yeah, but Rob, it's it's all about, you know, this is the, the 21st century. We have to earn our perks when we play Call of Duty, when we play World of Warcraft. You know, we don't just get stuff handed to us. We have to earn it, Rob. You know, this is your, your era of privilege and just getting stuff because you have the resources to buy it in a match. No, that era is over, Rob. We need you to grind. Then count me out, Tom. Uh, I, I feel like, uh, you, know, I, you know, you mentioned Age of Empires in your review, Age of Empires Online in your review, and I, I flashed back, frankly, to our conversations about that game and my, and my weeks trying to get into that game, where it's just this, uh, you know, okay, so there, there, there's a buff here, and, and here's, the, here's the really frustrating thing. I understand, the, I understand the trap they're in, right? You can't make these little buffs, these upgrades so negligible that they don't matter uh because right. then what's the point right so they have right. to be they have to actually give you some sort of almost tangible advantage in the match you have to maybe like notice that like oh that guy's reloading faster like that that anti-tank gun is getting <laughs> rounds off more quickly than uh the vanilla one was cool it just destroyed that tank because it was able to outshoot it great so you have to hit that point but you can't allow it to so unbalance the game that the entire like unit matchups just fall fall the hell apart because then it's basically impossible to learn. It's impossible to know. Like you know, when you look at the T TF two suffers from this problem tremendously, 
uh, with with the itemization it's introduced. When you look at a dude now, where where it used to like mean, okay, I know exactly what that guy's capacity is. Ah, right, right. Now you're like, okay, um, you know, depending on what he's carrying, he could be rapid firing, he could be harder hitting, he could be meteor. Uh, so you you can't you you can't make it um you can't make it so the the effects so dramatic that they may that they destroy that instant recognition uh that that's so crucial in an RTS. So by design, you were designing something that has to sort of kind of matter, but not all that ma- much, but still be noticeable. At that point, I, you know, I don't know what territory you're in there, but company of Heroes is there. Uh, that's kind of where it lives with this shit. Uh, and I don't think... I was also really taken aback at how much grinding the game asks before it starts giving you these bulletins. Um, I was really shocked to see things like destroy like 40 vehicles with satchel charges. Destroying a vehicle with a satchel <laughs> charge, not a terribly easy thing to pull off in this game because they actually have a fairly long detonation time. So really, your opponent has to be kind of oblivious to the fact that a guy basically put a nuclear bomb under your panzer. Uh, or you just have to play skirmishes against the, the stupid AI 40 times. Even the AI is pretty adept at sidestepping that satchel charge. But <laughs> So anyway, you still have to destroy 40 vehicles with right. a satchel charge. That's, right. a, that's a lot of company of heroes. Uh, by the way, Rob, I don't, this is a strategy gaming podcast. Uh, you should maybe tell the listeners what TF2 means. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that just easily rolled off your tongue. Like that's what you call it, you know, 20, 30 times a day in your conversations. <laughs> uh, but I love the Team Fortress 2 analogy because it's exactly the same sort of thing. Team Fortress 2 was just this simple, elegant, beautiful work of balanced units, and this guy had this role in the overall structure, and it was very much like a real-time strategy game, wasn't it? Like, here are these discrete, distinct tools for battling for map control. Uh, Go. And, uh, you know, that's part of what I love about real-time strategy games. Here are your tools. You know what they do. You know what the other guy's tools do. Uh, You throw them against each other. You see who wins. When one of them, and, and you're right, Rob, one of the weird things is that they had to do this balancing act of, is this completely negligible or does this matter? And when I look over that panel of bulletins, and I just, I, I still don't understand why they're calling them that. That's a goofy name for it. But when I look over this panel, I see some of them that I kind of think, you know, that's, I, I want that one. That seems like a plus 10% range bonus. That's kind of big. Um, I feel like that's the sort of thing that, uh, it just feels like balance goes out the window. That's the sort of thing that relic, when you read in a balance patch, uh, you know, we upgraded the, this unit's hit points from 500 to 550, or we changed this unit's firing rate from 1.2 to 1.3, or we gave this guy an extra 5% range. Those things are hugely important in the kinds of balance patches that people like Blizzard and Relic do. And to throw that into this grinding system, I feel really undermines a lot of the gameplay. Um, Especially if you're going to play very competitively. You know, if you're just faffing around with your friends, if you're just playing single player, that's one thing. Uh, But to introduce this in a game that they're really pushing into the competitive esports scene seems uh, a bit schizophrenic to me well i mean are they are they really pushing into the competitive esports scene 
Like, well, when you yeah, when you boot up the game, one of the new things is there's this little Twitch TV. Yeah, that's right. Like they're wanting people to sort of broadcast their matches, and I don't know if specifically if it's like an esports thing, but they're definitely wanting to make it uh, maybe a spectator RTS is is more accurate. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I was I was trying to think maybe is if there's an analogy to like uh, you know runes in uh, League of Legends. Um, and I'm just, uh, I'm not sure that really holds up. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the weird thing about this is just, um, it's, it's really kind of, I should back up. Are we just being old RTS fuddy duddies a little bit? Yes. Because, okay, great. Yes. <laughs> because, <laughs> <that's>, because, <laughs> Because we're coming to it from this place of that's not how you make a strategy game. That's and it does seem like there's there's a few places that are really that are really sort of cleaving to that. Where like uh, you know Blizzard, you know its balance patches are these uh, very careful like prunings of the, you know the, of the balance. Uh, okay, we're going to very slightly change the cost of this to that, and you know now that the Hellbat's been been made a little less expensive, that's really going <laughs> to open up the the entire early game rush strategy for the Terrans. And you know if you're not if you're not deep in that community, you're reading it, you're like, is it? Uh, Rob, I like how when you talk about Blizzard making their challenges, you kind of lower your voice and you sound calm and cool and collected and official and and dispassionate. <laughs> that's yeah. that's your read uh, for for patch notes, balance patch notes. Very good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but but you increasingly like with with, with this and pretty much with uh, you know everything EA tried to do for the last you know uh, you know for, for the last couple cycles of of uh, Command and Conquer and. Uh, with what Microsoft ended up doing to uh, Age of Empires, there's this really strong movement to try to get RTS to have some sort of meaningful progression system. And I just have no idea if um, are, are are we just are we just res- like I know I know what the problems are with it. What I'm curious is whether or not this legitimately makes the game more fun for people. I have no, uh, like you know I I don't know. Yeah, and that's I mean who knows what. People, different people find different things fun. I don't begrudge anybody who loves this system. That's fine. But I definitely, and I think you are too, Rob, I'm more of an old school RTS guy where, you know, when Blizzard uh, publishes StarCraft II, they separate, you know, they give you that progression system where you can add 5% to the range or add extra armor to your mutalisks or whatever. They make that part of the single player campaign to draw you through the single player campaign. But they put a firewall between that and the multiplayer. Um, and I, I feel that's the way it should be done. If you are going to play competitively a multiplayer game, you should not be rewarded for the amount of time you've spent with it. You know, the, the skill you build up playing over time, that's your reward. That's your reward. And that's a huge reward. And to also add on to that, to these, these bonuses for your units, I think just kind of snowballs. Now, to be fair though, one of the limits here. And, and ultimately, I think the system is less about damaging the game and more about just just frillery that I don't need that's silly. You know, you can only slot three of them. Right. And there's, there's even something to be said for before a match, you can see what three perks someone is taking. And you could almost look at that as a tell about how they're going to play. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe you could charitably say, oh no, it's balanced because you're going to tip your hand a little bit. 
but I, I don't know. I just see what Age of Empires Online did, where they want to reward you. They want to encourage you to grind, to play over and over. Uh, and I just I want no part of that sort of thing when I'm playing multiplayer. Yeah, that, that's... That's totally that's totally fair, and I, and I do think it is important to emphasize that this is not something that like is necessarily in your face while you're playing the game all the time. Although, my God, they do try to remind you of all the different experiences you're unlocking and all the little rewards you got. It has the most baroque metal system I've ever seen, like which actually is entirely thematically appropriate. If you look at like what a like what a Soviet marshal looked like by the end of the war, it's totally it's totally correct. The Covenant of Heroes tries to bling out your. Uh, your your little uh, ribbons chest, your little chest ribbons thing, uh, as much as humanly possible. But yeah, that that panel is ridiculous to me <sighs> with all those little ribs. And what it reminds me of, I don't know if you're a Gears of War player, but Gears of War did something very similar over its progressive iterations is they're giving you all these little medals, and you're constantly seeing how much progression you're making towards any medal. And I guess I don't mind that because it's goofy and inconsequential and strictly cosmetic. Um, so if they wanted to do it from that perspective and just, hey, you want to unlock a special winter skin for your tanks, I could see that. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that metal, that, that chest of metals in the upper right-hand corner every time you boot up the game is a little silly, isn't it? It, it is a little much, but, it, when, but at least when you're playing the game, it's not like all this progression stuff and unlockable stuff is necessarily like, uh, you, know, w- you know, waving its arms in front of your face the way it sometimes was in uh, Age of Empires, where like if a dude showed up with a purple item in an Age of Empires match, and you didn't right. have anything close corresponding to that, you know, you were done. Like, why are his archers mowing down my heavy, heavy infantry? Oh, well, didn't you know he had the, you know, the horn of Ramses or so, something? Like, oh, okay, I guess that's it. Uh, right. This, you know, this is not that, uh, you know, for which, you know, I thank God. But something else I want to talk a little bit about, because um, you, you, you passed fairly quickly over it in the review, but I, but I do think it matters a bit here. Uh, the single-player campaign. Uh, I think we're both agreed that in general, you don't go to a, an RTS game looking for a great campaign. It's just, mm-hmm. it's it's very rare. But I will say that while I never finished Company of Heroes uh, campaign, um, I recognized there there was a lot of quality there. There were a lot of memorable missions. Uh, the production values were really high. Uh, the writing was a little cliched, warmed over Band of Brothers stuff. But at least but at least kind of it was it was it was kind of dramatic and memorable. Um, I don't know, like, this This campaign just, this campaign really did not grab me at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, it, why would it? Yeah, what, what, what makes you think that it would? <laughs> well, because at least, like, because, okay, like, it. Ha- there's no really, like, for as hard as it tries to sort of recapture some Company of Heroes stuff, like, there are at least a few missions that I really remember well in Company of Heroes, like uh, having your paratroopers running around at night and frantically trying to set up a convoy ambush. Um, that was actually pretty cool. I remember that being really dramatic. Like, you, you know, you got a minute and a half before the convoy gets there. Put the mines down, set up the machine gun <laughs> nest. Like, that's cool. Uh, taking Carantan and then defending it from an SS Panzer counterattack. And, I mean, that was a, that was a counterattack. Like, they just level the city around you, uh, and you end up fighting just trying to hold on to this church. Was pretty cool. And the weird thing is, I just didn't feel the missions in Company of Heroes 2 succeeded at all in sort of kicking up those dramatic uh, moments, uh, despite all their heavy use of scripting. Right. 
And that, all, all that stuff, I mean, even the things you're describing about the original game, Rob, I do remember those. And when you describe them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember that mission. That was kind of cool. But when I'm in the middle of those, that stuff just bounces off me entirely. All I can see is the scripting and this sense that, okay, if I don't do it right, I'm just going to have to reload. Hopefully there's a checkpoint. Um, so I'm the worst person to talk to about, you know, your story-driven campaign in an RTS. Uh, when we talked about... Uh, Wargame Airland Battles, that's the kind of thing I like, where there's something dynamic, I can create my own story, my own narrative yeah. emerges. So that was where, when I first booted up Company of Heroes 2, and it was just a slog to get through the campaign, and then I looked over and saw that Theater of War thing, that's where my ears really perked up. And I thought, ooh, Ooh, I want to go in there. Oh, look, it's all the years of the war, and each year has different ways you can play it. And there's kind of a checklist of these, here's a co-op mission. Why can't I click on 1942? Right, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I guess I have to unlock 1942 by finishing 1941. Okay, I'll plug away at the... Hey, wait a minute! You guys ripped me off! Where's my 1942? (laughs) Um, So that was something where I really just... That's where I was keenly aware of, oh, you guys are going to sell me stuff, aren't you? (laughs) I'm going to have to buy this later. This is the DLC. Uh, That was the second place I noticed it, by the way. The first place I noticed it was with the commanders, and I do want to talk about those. Uh, But so as far as single player, I I just think even though I kind of appreciate what they're trying to do with Theater of War – in that they're offering you, okay, here's different ways you can play. You can do a co-op mission. You can do skirmishes. You can do these little challenges. Uh, I, I kind of appreciate the way that that is organized, but the moment-to-moment, once I'm inside of it, I'm still just doing these like goofy scripted things. Or you know, you talked in your review about how frustrating some of that co-op can be, where you're just getting hammered, and you and a buddy just have to like hold out and take a beating for a while. Um, I, just none of the single-player stuff really works for me, uh, even though I do appreciate how they tried to organize it. Uh, and I think they're trying to pull you through it with grinding to unlock those intelligence bulletins and especially unlocking commanders. Um, yeah. As far as the theater of war stuff, it, it really is like... Um... You know, so some of them were some of them I thought were pretty good. Uh, you know, I had a mission where I was playing with Dan Stapleton where it was just, um, you know, I wasn't so much frustrated. It was a desperate fight, but it was actually really cool. It was this total, um, you know, huge map, a ton of armor, and just this desperate attempt to try to keep the Germans from steamrolling the map and, and getting all our tickets, uh, you know, counting our tickets down. I know, I know exactly the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that that one I I think it had this cool dawn to dusk, uh, you know, pacing. It was I really enjoyed that one. It took us it took us several tries to to really nail it. Um, it was it was it was really exciting. I loved it. There were others though where it was like, okay, so you and your buddy are basically going to have uh, you and your buddy are basically going to play. Well, well, Dan put it really well after one of our games. He's like, well, that wasn't really like we were fighting together. We were fighting in parallel. We were two. We were fighting two completely separate battles, um, just happened to be on the same map, and they called it co-op. And that's kind of how some of it felt. There was another. There's another feat of war mission that is literally just a skirmish, an AI skirmish. Right. Um, which those was, those by the way were my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Yeah. No. No. no, no, no scarce little wonder there. But it did feel like <laughs> if this is if this is sort of the you know you, you talk about these these DLC shaped holes they cut out of it. I don't know that I care about that. But here here's the problem for me is that that the initial offering was so inconsistent. 
that it's not like I'm hitting this point where it's like, boy, I can't wait till the 1942 Theater of War package comes out. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't see anything. There's like, when you ask me what is Theater of War, it's like these four or five different things that are all vastly different in how interesting they actually are. Uh, and so I think there's a really cool opportunity there. And I, I, you know, if they managed to really surprise me with 1942, 1943 with like some awesome co-op stuff, great. But right now it just, it's, it's a cool idea that I, I just, I don't think it was, it was really developed enough. Um, but we, we should absolutely talk about the commanders. Cause I think you brought up a really crucial point in your review, which is that in company of heroes, one of the major, <laughs> really, like a, a really fundamental part of the Company of Heroes is that you would sort of get experience in combat, uh, or you'd say that you're leveling up your army, whatever, and you would unlock. First of all, you'd pick from three types of commanders, each with their own like skill tree, and at each point, I think there were three levels of skills. Maybe there were four. I thought, but each at each point varied. you had to pick one yeah. or two, one of two. One of two. They're, they're a series of binary choices. Uh, you couldn't have both. And so at each at each turn, you would have these moments where it was like, "Ooh, do I want do I want the uh, do, you know do I want the 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 strafing run that'll clear infantry, or do I want the uh, the 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 aerial recon, which might actually be more useful in the late game, but right now I need to kill infantry. So that's a cool choice. Um, and it seems like in Coming of Heroes, they've kind of shit can that coming of yours too they kind of shit can that it's not only a cool choice rob i think it's a fundamental part of you know i talked about in company of heroes the importance of the fuel points and i feel that was a fundamental part of that game's design is you couldn't jigger your fuel pr production it was based entirely on the map another fundamental part of the experience of the original company of heroes is at any given point once you would unlock that command tree, and that's a huge choice initially, by the way, even though a lot of times when you're playing, you're like, okay, this time I'm going to be the air commander. Like You kind of know where you're going. Even if that's the case, once you unlock it, you are constantly faced with this decision. Do I continue pushing my way up the main tree to get to that superpower at the end of this branch, up the branch that I'm currently pursuing? Or do I use the points that I have now to get a cheaper power on the second branch? So that was constantly a question you had to ask yourself, is do I spend these command points now on something cheap, or do I save them up to get that super powerful thing? And that is a consistent, dramatic tension you feel as you're playing the game. Uh, and it's part of why uh, skill trees or, or in RPGs or, or whatever are interesting, is you're having to make choices. You know, I'm reminded of the, the god trees in Age of Mythology. At, at, at every given... At, at, these age shifts, you would decide which god you want. It was mutually exclusive. Um, Battle for Middle-Earth 2, which is, I, I feel, one of the best real-time strategy games made, has this ring power tree where you're making decisions. Am I going to get this over here, this over here, or am I going to spend my points on a cheaper power I can get now, save up? That tension is entirely missing, and I just don't understand what the thinking is besides that. You just buy one commander, and you have no power over... There's no decision. He comes that. with he comes with five things. That's it, and they unlock automatically. My experience too is that I would f finish out the unlocks pretty quickly. Uh, maybe it's different in different kinds of matches, but a lot of times I would get that last power, and then my my command power keeps incrementing up to no effect and i'm like what's the point of this because it used to be in company of heroes you would max out that first tree and then 
those points that you would be getting, you would put into the first branch. The points you would be getting, you could be like, okay, now I can climb up that second branch. Let's see how far I can get up there. And on those really long, slog, brutal wars of attrition, you might get both uber powers at the top of both branches. Um, and I just see, you know, that decision is gone. That that dramatic tension is missing in Company of Heroes 2. Uh, and furthermore, Rob, I hate this. The powers are just mix and match. You know, the commanders share so many powers. There was this sense of if I want the strafing run or do I want the special tank in this branch or do I want this propaganda ability that makes my infantry fight better? You know, these existed only in one place. But all the, if you look at all the commanders in Company of Heroes 2, they're just remixes of each other. You know, if you want shock troops, eh, there's about four or five different commanders you can use, assuming you've got, like, the DLC and assuming you've ground enough to unlock some of the commanders that you get at later experience point levels. But eventually, you know, shock troops are a dime a dozen. Most of the commanders will give them to you. Not most, but it exists in many of those little different commander sticks. I call them sticks because they're not branches. Uh, so, yeah, I just really feel that... There's a fundamental misreading of what made the first game great with their commander structure. Yeah, and you know something else that bothered me a little bit. Um, you know, this is this is such a small this is such a small nit to pick, but uh, but I think it matters a little bit here. Is what you've got staring at you at the bottom of your interface is these three little portraits of just dudes. I mean, they're <laughs> just they're just various grizzled soldier dudes. And in the middle of the match, you know, with, with I mean, because the pacing coming of heroes is pretty fast. Uh, in the middle of the match, I've still got to mouse over these guys and be like, okay, which one of these guys is the tank dude? Which which guy? That guy has a scar on his cheek. Is that because he's an infantryman? Maybe, it's, it's, maybe, that's, maybe he got that scar in the infantry. And that's, and that's why he's got that scar. So I should pick him if I want infantry. Wait, no, shit. That was the air guy. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, so it's just it's like this is this is not the most effective way to communicate this information. Maybe just like put a picture of a tank, an airplane, an artillery piece. Just stick that at the bottom so you can be like, I right. want the tank shit. Give me the tank shit. Right. But they don't do that. The other thing, but but yeah, the 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 other thing is that these commanders also don't have a strong feeling of. They don't have a strong feeling of being right. the armor guy, the uh, air guy. Whereas, Which like, is why you can't have an icon. Is Yeah, because right. a lot of them give you a tank and an infantry because they're all remixes of, of the same, basically the same dozen powers. Right, yeah. whereas like Company of Heroes, if you were an American, like an airborne commander, like you basically just, you know, kiss, kiss goodbye to most of the really heavy gear that you were going to have. What you were getting in exchange is crazy mobility and flexibility. But you are not going to be, you know, rolling heavy with the artillery and the tanks. Like you're just that's just not going to be open to you. And you might want to do that, you might not want to. Here it felt like, oh, this didn't really change my game all that significant that significantly at all. Um and actually yeah. the experience I had a lot of times was the commander would bring all these different these all these different um the all these different uh, abilities and out of the five, I wanted two. Two of them were ever relevant and three were basically 
trash. Like maybe I could see a case for, um, you know, maybe yeah, maybe there'd be a case for using, uh, you know, this 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 little like uh, you know, air deployed smoke power or something. I want to say there's some really right. there's some really menial uh, air power that that I just was just parked there in one of my one of my little sticks, and I just never used it. And, and then there were two things that I just wanted, like oh the 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 T the T thirty four with the upgraded cannon. That's what I want. I want that commander because Jesus, the German tanks are killing me. So everything else is just kind of irrelevant. I just want that. So I'm just going to bank my points for that, and that's why I picked him. And so the the powers actually just become uh, they actually end up filling the role of uh, what a specialized building would do. Right, right. And they they, they moved a lot of that special. Like they also uh, focused a lot of these kind of upgrades in the veterancy system. Now it used to be that. Uh, I think the way it used to work is the veterancy was something you could buy globally as the Germans, oh, yes. Yes. the Allies. Yes. So, so now veterancy is just something that each individual unit earns, and a lot of units, I think they have three stars, and they'll do more damage. You can hover over the star, and it'll tell you what the benefit is. But at, at one point, uh, many of the units get a special ability, like a tank can capture a point, or there's a, uh, I forget what the infantry can do, maybe a hunker down but at any rate the veterancy was a per unit thing and a veteran unit would earn a special ability it could use and that used to be something that you would research or build um so they changed that as well yeah and actually that that's something that actually uh kind of pissed me off is just not only was the faction design weak on the soviet side um but they actually made the germans less interesting as well like the germans in uh, vanilla company of heroes had to pay for their veterancy. The idea being basically, right. right, that the Germans had access to veteran troops when they wanted it. It's just there weren't that many to go around. So you had to deal with the expense of recruiting, you know, hardened Wehrmacht troops as opposed to fresh uh, conscripts, you know, back from Germany. So that's kind of the choice that's modeled in Combat of Heroes, where it's like, okay, I'm globally upgrading my support weapon, my infantry support weapons to level three. So my infantry might not be brilliant, my armor might not be brilliant, but support weapons, like, man, that guy working the mortar, he's going to be like Davy fucking Crockett with that thing. He's just going <laughs> to be like blowing guys away, and I don't spend the money to do that. Here, they're kind of, you know, I guess you know, we're all Americans now because the Germans are getting the same uh, experience boosts as everyone else through combat only. Uh, and, and, the, and the ways in which uh, the factions gained experience was so fundamental to uh, how Company of Heroes 1 worked that I was actually really kind of sur surprised and, and, and a little bit crushed that it had been um, made just kind of this RPG like, you know, okay, how long can you keep this unit alive? Then he'll be a veteran. That's, yeah, exactly. that's, that's yeah. your question. I think the Germans had a more interesting uh, situation in the original game. So that was uh, kind of frustrating. And uh, speaking about experience just a little bit, again, going back to the, the Soviet faction design, uh, conscripts are great. Boy, they just, you know, you get, you get conscripts uh, some experience, and they're basically just a really good rifle squad. Um, yeah. that's, that's what they do. And once again, it's like, oh, this is basically like my basic rifle squad as the Americans, uh, in the original game, even though it's trying to say these guys are cannon fodder and their main use is to sort of reinforce units in the field, which is actually a cool power. And that's something that I actually really loved about this game is that the Russians can just sort of run these conscripts up and boom, uh, that veteran cannon that was down to one guy. Now it's got a full crew again, and they're all veterans. It's great. It continues. That's pretty cool. But it, it 
it bothered me a little bit to see the conscripts basically function as okay, they're just they're they're just riflemen and they're pretty damn good ones too. Uh, so that's not again kind of not a really strong flavor uh, situation. I, I cited the example of the penal battalions, uh, where you know again the flavor text is telling you these were the suicide troops of the Russian army. They were convicts. Right. <laughs> they were sent out to die. And the game, they're just a bunch of badasses with submachine guns and uh, satchel charges, and that's kind of it. But it doesn't. It, it it it's like it has no flavor. It also doesn't break down any of the differences for you in any meaningful way. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was in comp- the original Company of Heroes, there were number values for any unit's effectiveness against another type of unit, you know, against infantry, against soft vehicles, against hardened vehicles, and I think against buildings. Those numbers are gone here. You just get a little text snippet. Um, and I... You know, I like my numbers. I kind of want them. I I like data to evaluate how useful something is against something else. So if it comes down to the difference between a, the penal squad and the shock troops, I I I'd like some information about that. Uh, that's none is forthcoming. Yeah, and did that. you feel did you feel the map design was just a little bit? Well, I I mean, again, it comes down to that thing about the fuel points. Uh, I feel the map design. I mean, I love their maps. I love their tech with being able to destroy stuff. I love hiding infantry in buildings and then watching the buildings get knocked down and going, oh, no, or knocking down buildings when someone else is hiding in them. So uh, I, you know, I, I enjoy the spectacle of it, and I'm just not sure that I enjoyed the game enough to appreciate how the different maps flowed. Um, but uh, yeah, so I didn't really notice. But you were you were disappointed in the map design? Well, no, it's just... So going back to, you know, sort of issues of flavor, I would say there were there are different sort of archetypes for maps that you'd see in Company of Heroes that are sort of repeated here. Uh, there was, you know, um, you know, French village, you know, and right, here right. you've got like Russian steppe village. But effectively, it's the same geography. You know, it's a small hamlet in the center of the map, a couple outlying farm buildings, uh, you know, Large fields, bro, you know, line of sight, breaking fences, stuff like that. Then you had the right. industrial German, uh, you know, heartland in Company of Heroes. Here you have the industrial Russian uh, heartland, you know, all very street fighting, all very sort of broken up into these little discrete chunks. And I guess it, it what just, what just kind of, it was, it was, the, the, these were maps where, again, it, 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 they just kind of felt, I mean, the, as far as how they functioned, they, they, they functioned fine. But it also felt like, it, it just felt a little bit, again, sort of recycled. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you sort sure. of look at these games as, you know, sort of communicating something about their theme, um, it, just, it just didn't have a strong feeling of, oh man, this is a really different war. And, and, and putting, putting snow down on the ground didn't quite go far enough. Right. You know, if, if, you're ste- if, you're, if your village on the Ukrainian steppe feels pretty much exactly the same as your Norman farming village in, in, in northern France, it, you know, I, I feel you maybe, it, you've, you've maybe wasted a little bit of an opportunity there, uh, that maybe you haven't been bold enough in your map design. And, you know, I was talking about Evan, I was talking to Evan Lati about this last week. Um, we were talking about uh, the Rising Storm expansion for Red Orchestra 2. And talking about how it sort of not not a strategy game, by the way. Not I know a you tried to you tried to invoke the Tom Chick rule. I I heard you do that, but not a strategy game, Rob. It, total strategy game. <laughs> um, it, 
but 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 my well maybe a war game but the point but the the point is um you know it's it's a case where you can you can play kind of fast and loose with with balance not every map has to necessarily uh you know be totally you know totally balanced all the time maybe sometimes it's worth it a little more to push in terms of the sort of geography you can throw at your players and the sort of action that takes place in that map rather than sticking to uh you know a a, a fairly familiar series of archetypes uh from from the previous game and i kind of felt like that was going on a little bit here it was just like I've seen this stuff before, and it's it's not helping with that with that feeling of having been here before, playing this exact same game, wearing a different skin. Right, right. Uh, did the uh, true sight or that new line of sight stuff? Did that do anything for you? Oh, that's so dumb. No, it's the branding is dumb. Branding branding is dumb. The true sight's great. Right. I I love I love having a real proper line of sight system. Like that was, oh boy, that was super cool. Um, being able to, uh, sort of duck my guys around behind a uh, you know blown out Panzer and then s- use that to sneak around a building and just sort of vanish from enemy sight and the mortar can't hit me suddenly. That was that was great. Um, and having guys suddenly abruptly lose sight of each other just around the corner of a building. That stuff that stuff was a, was a neat touch and occasionally it mattered. I did see some weird things crop up with it uh, where like guys three feet away from each other would lose sight of their enemy. Uh, just because there was there's cl- some obstacle that was supposed to be there that the engine was calculating that just wasn't evident to me why these guys wouldn't see each other. Uh, but uh, yeah, by and large, I thought it was cool. Yeah, that, that stuff kind of bounced off me as well. I mean, I, I feel like if you're going to have this idea with spotting, uh, it needs to really be built into the game in a specific way. I think of Airland Battle again. Uh, how that's based on this spotting dynamic and line of sight and things blocking sighting. And uh, for me, it's just like, okay, every now and then something's invisible and I can't shoot it. Uh, and I can use that to my advantage if I want by standing back here. But I don't feel it adds that much to this kind of top-down, God view, very tactical uh, uh, RTS experience. Um, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that they did it because I know... Uh, you know, it's kind of like something that people complain about in the first game, or oh, my guys can see through buildings, and that never that didn't bother me in the least. No, it, um, it didn't bother me either. I, I think it was it was fine actually. Where where I think it benefits a little bit is that I think for me at least, I've internalized line of sight so much that I'm actually a little bit surprised when a game doesn't follow. Uh, you know, the same rules that my board games do, basically, you know, like where I'm looking at the map and in my head, I'm drawing, I'm, I've got, I'm dragging a piece of string around. Uh, that That's kind of how I see strategy maps now. And so when it doesn't function that way, it's always a little weird for me. Yeah, I like how you're trying to appeal to board games, but I think what's going on, Rob, is that you've been playing too much Red Orchestra. It's your shooter background. So you're playing all those shooters, you can't see things, and you're <laughs> thinking, oh, an RTS should do that. Uh, yeah. What did you think of the uh, the... In the interface, all your units line up little icons in the upper right. Uh, I don't know if they have some cool name for that. Let's maybe call it uh, True Icons. You know, maybe they have a name for that up there. Uh, what did you feel about that little part of the interface? Um, so the way it used to be was it was sort of laid out in tabs along your right-hand side, right? Um, yep, and it would of... it would break down, too, by your control groups. Yeah. If you put a control group, it would make a separate line. It was this great visualization of your, your orders of battle. Uh, as you organize them, yeah, right. And I felt like I had managerial problems cropping up in this game that I did not in Company of Heroes. I found this a harder game to manage than Company of Heroes was. One of the cool things that they did is on the icons they'll show you. You know, there's an icon for the unit, 
and then there'll be little icons superimposed over it if it's under fire mm-hmm. or if it's taking damage from a blizzard. And while I appreciate that, I can't relate it to the map when it's just this row of like a dozen icons up there. You know, I see one of them flashing under attack and I'm like, that that doesn't help me. You know, if I could organize them in groups and I know, okay, that's group one at the top, well, you, one you of them is can, under attack. It still separates them out, doesn't it? Well, it has a number. It has a number for the group it's in as well as the number of people in the unit. So I see all these icons. There's little numbers splashed all over them. There's two numbers on each icon. There's icons everywhere. Uh, I, I just don't feel it relates to the map and to my control groups as well as the game used to, uh, as far as being able to look at a glance and see, okay, here's these units, I want to jump to them. Uh, I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I just feel, I, I miss some of the features from the first Company of Heroes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so here's the thing, this is this is what it, I always feel a little like, I was, uh, you know, I always come to the end of a podcast like this a little bit like, uh, you know, it's the hangover or something, and I wake up at the end like, oh God, what have we said? We've been so harsh, uh, because <laughs> right? you know, the bottom line is, I, I, I had fun playing it. I enjoyed it. Again, oh it was, God, it still, Rob, you did not just company. use the F word. Oh, yeah, I'll use oh, another geez. one here in a second. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet you will. Careful. Please, uh, like, like I haven't heard that one a lot. <laughs> No, like I still okay. I I still enjoyed it because fundamentally it's a it, it's a company of heroes game, uh, not not the best unfortunately for a sequel, but right. you know it was it was still recognizably company of heroes. There were still things that uh, you know I found that were different that I did enjoy, uh, but the problem I guess the 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 problem for me is, um, in the future, if I get my company of heroes uh, hankering going. I will have a very hard time not firing up Company of Heroes with all its expansions. Which uh, you should do. It's a great game. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so I guess that's that's my problem. I, I enjoy it. And I, I think that's why, why I gave it an ultimately positive review. Because the, the, the bones of, of Company <laughs> of Heroes... Are really are really sound. Uh, it is it is a great structure for an RTS game. Uh, it's just here. I, I Why don't... would you accept the bones of Company of Heroes when you can have the bones and the flesh and the cool uniform and all of the brass buttons? See see what I did there with your bones analogy. Did yes. you like that? Yes, I, I loved it. <laughs> you, you really took that ball and ran with it. Well, I want I want to briefly talk before we go. I want to get a little uh, inside baseball and talk about uh, the reviews because it's been pretty well received um did did uh did evan and dan like it did they write uh do, do you know um so uh, you know i was i was reading reviews so right now it sits at 80 on metacritic um and so i don't I, I don't think evan actually played it um but dan uh wrote a review where he's like yeah this is this is good it's it's also very much like an expansion pack um, which I, I think is another perfectly you know fair way to look at it. it. Doesn't feel like a full sequel, but that was his that was his fundamental view. Is like um, it, it's it's a it, what the underwhelmed is uh, is how I would characterize that review. Okay. He gave it an eighty four. Well, I, I I just sort of feel as a reviewer, as a guy who comments on the industry, as someone who critiques video games, I I don't feel that we should be rewarding disappointing games with overall approving reviews. Uh, And this doesn't even have to get into review scores, which is a whole other separate issue. But I'm just mystified that people who I feel are saying, eh, it's kind of disappointing, it's sort of an expansion pack, but thumbs up. Um, That that to me is mystifying. I just feel like we shouldn't reward that with positive commentary. Uh. Right. And... 
here's so it's it's hard to separate this from the review scores issue i think because mm-hmm. ultimately you know when you're writing an outlet you look at you look at their, their their sort of review scores guide what these what these scores actually mean then i try to match up you know how do i feel sure you know on the spectrum where, where, where do i feel oh i land at a seven or i land at three stars or you know whatever and the problem is did you see this thing that was making the rounds not long ago um, it was from something awful. If movies are reviewed like games, yeah, that great World War Z review. Yep. Um, and, yeah, and one thing that I think it, it got really correctly is, is that uh, in its in its mock review text, it said, you know, at no point did the actors forget their lines. The camera never fell over. The backdrops did not suddenly catch fire. Uh, so it does all the things you expect from a, from a real movie. Uh, so here, here's a great like eight out of ten review. And I often do feel like, uh, just in terms of the the sort of review spectrum, that toward the bottom of it, you are being like if you were like if you are giving a game like a one star out of five or a twenty out of a hundred, uh, what the what those scores are translated to in most in most metrics is this game is such a piece of crap. It is such an unredeemed, broken. Uh, fundamentally uh, just incompetent effort uh, that, that it, you know, it should be lit on fire and everyone who worked on it should be rounded up and shot. And that's very rare, actually. There's very few games, especially, you know, ma- major releases these days that ever come close to that. Uh, so I, I, I do feel like you, you, you end up kind of in this position where, like, if you ask me, is Company of Heroes 2 all right? Yeah, Company of Heroes 2 is fine. It's actually, a, it's, you know, a, it, as an RTS, it's pretty sound. Where it runs into trouble is that it's every is that most of the things that are good about it are from a previous game, and I so I ended up coming down on basically like you know almost handling it in isolation. I think that's it's totally fair to criticize that. I'm not maybe we maybe we take things too much in isolation. Um, why and... why would you ever do that though? I mean, who who plays a video game in isolation? Who nobody has that experience with a video game. I, I I feel bad doing this because I don't know if the guy is new to reviewing, if he's new to RTSs, but if you want to see what that does to the review process, read Destructoid's review of Company of Heroes 2. The fellow who reviewed it there seemed to be just bowled over by how cool real-time strategy games were. And I'm not sure what that approach... You know, he had no frame of reference for the other real-time... for the other Company of Heroes games or for real-time strategy games in general. That approach, I don't think, helps anyone. This idea that we're going to take this game in a vacuum. I'm going to be like a newborn babe, start with a clean slate. None of my experiences, my expectations, none of the context for the game matters. Let's look at this in a vacuum. T- to me, that's the that's that's the worst way to talk about the experience of video gaming. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, I don't I don't want it to sound like I'm jumping on you, uh, but I just really feel that that serves no one. That makes for a, a terribly limited conversation that's going to reward every game for just making it to the market. You know, that's going to—that's that school of thought that hey, this game is fun. I had fun playing it. I enjoyed it. I was distracted. It was—it was entertaining. Uh, I, I just hate that approach. I, I feel that when we talk about a video game, when we talk about Company of Heroes 2, we cannot ignore what has come before, what other RTSs are out there competing for our time, how it holds up next to the predecessors, uh, how it holds up next in, in terms of the marketplace of how games are sold and made, uh, other 
single-player campaigns like Wargame, Airland Battle. Uh, this idea that something should be talked about in a vacuum, I just, I hate. Sorry, you got me on a rant there. No, 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 no. I, I was, I was, I was kind of waiting for it the whole episode. Actually, that's uh, <laughs> one reason I wanted to have you here. Uh, well, but it's I, not unique to Company of Heroes too, by the way. I just feel no. this about all games, and it just comes. It, I brought it to bear in talking about Company of Heroes too, which is why I ended up giving it one star. Um, yeah, no, and that's and that's totally fair. I was arguing with uh, uh, our friend David Heron uh, on the way on the way back from uh, RabbitCon this weekend, sort of about the about our approaches and uh, what we thought of review. And he was totally on Team Tom, by the way. Uh, he thought he was to- he was totally on. Uh, his attitude was totally if they took a good thing and they didn't make it better, and in fact, in some ways, made it worse. To hell with them. Uh, they, they 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 screwed it up. I, you know, I you know, I, I totally I totally get get where, get where get where you're coming from, and I I, I do agree uh, with, with a lot of the points you made there. I just feel like in a lot of cases, I mean, for me, it would have been dishonest to say I did not have a good time with Company of Heroes. For all that, for all that we've been sort of uh, picking at the, you know, pick, picking at the problems with it for this episode, I uh-huh. still had a good time. I still enjoyed playing Company of Heroes. Uh, I'm with you 100%. You know, yep. th- throughout my time with that game. So then turn around and say, but I would have had the exact same good time, but even better if I'd been playing the previous version of the game, which was frankly a better designed game. And because of that, because it's it's, it's not appreciably better, uh, because they haven't really uh, recaptured or built on that foundation, uh, he, I am going to say this game completely fails for me. It fails as a sequel. Uh, t- t- for me, I can't make that leap because I just don't feel it. Uh, as as frustrated as I am sometimes with some of the the disappointing aspects that we've covered in the show, you know, if you know, if if you had to say, well, yeah, but would, you know, would would you still recommend it? Um, I would recommend it with. The reservations are recommended it with, uh, you know, I'd recommend it insofar as if you just want more Company of Heroes with, you know, so, some some you know different stuff going on, this is fine. The original's better. <laughs> I I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. I would say no, stick with the original. If you're paying and and I don't generally talk about price no, and I reviews because I, but uh, but I I don't feel like if you're going to pay sixty dollars for an experience, you should get more than what you're getting with Company of Heroes too. You know, even if you're finding this for Five dollars in a bargain bin. If you're going to spend ten, twenty, thirty, fifty hours with a game, you should expect that your time is worthwhile, that your time is well spent. And unless that game has something to recommend it over another game that you could be playing, Company of Heroes One, I can't recommend this. Uh, and yeah, I had fun with it. You know, it was way better than uh, doing the dishes or taking the dog for a walk or paying the cable bill. Uh, you know, video games are a great distraction, but that's not what I talk about. You know, as a, as a critic, that's not really what this is about. I'm not just talking about if I had fun. I'm talking about how it fits in the overall context of video gaming. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, and uh, most reviewers today, I, I think, come from that same place. Uh, but it's just surprising to me. Uh, well, I mean, you know, if for me, I, I feel a little bit like hands are tied, right? Like it, when editorial outlets start changing how they want to handle reviews, if if they want to, you know, if if they want to get harder about sort of how we view review games and how we view like what sort of co- like the context in which we place them, 
then I can sort of, you know, I will change, like, I will sort of adapt to what I do, right? Like, if you'd, if you'd asked me, like, if, if, there were, if the assignment specifically asked me to, you know, put this in context of what's happening in the RTS space, uh, Relic's history, uh, whether or not this succeeds as a design uh, built on the foundations of its predecessor, that's a very different review. Uh, and it's one I'd, I'd enjoy. I, one I enjoy writing. Uh, and I well, think to be would... fair, Rob, you which one you kind of did write. I mean, yeah. I, and I, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that to uh, disagree with you or to dinner or to, to slam you or anything. I mean, you did. You you opened talking about Relic's background, uh, and I think your disappointment with the game came through the text just fine. It certainly came through in our conversation today. Um, but what you're left with is that by the time it comes down to working within the context of joysticks rating system, you give it three and a half stars and that's just a facet of the rating system you're using and i have no problem with that uh you know i have no problem with what you've said about company of heroes i have no problem with how you've written about it i think your disappointment comes through just fine um so i i just wanted to say like I, i'm not asking you to fall on a sword or anything no, 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 i'm no. just i'm just kind of surprised that there's so much uh rancor directed at those of us who are disappointed at it um, even though a lot of that is from fanboys, but I'm more su surprised that so many of the reviews are overwhelmingly positive and just yeah, 8.5, uh, you know, thumbs up. Uh, this is a, a landmark achievement in RTSs. I I just don't understand that sentiment, uh, and I think a lot of it comes from this idea that hey, just treat it like uh, you know, talk about the experience in a vacuum. Did you have fun with it? Um, did you enjoy it? Uh, you know, just take this game in isolation and talk about the experience. I'm just so surprised that so many people still do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as as the case with a lot of your uh, your reviews that sort of that sort of uh, raise a lot of hackles, um, it's one of those cases where if I look at the, when I look at the score first, and I do, uh, I will admit, uh, when I scroll to the bottom and I look at the score, uh, my eyebrows tend to go up after I read a review. I tend to think, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally. That's <laughs> that's how you feel. Right on. And I can't find fault with your reasoning. Uh, so yeah. Um. It's it's an interesting. You know. It, it's it, there's a lot of interesting artifacts you get of of how we review games and how you get these divergences of actual emotional and critical reaction to a game and then sort of the consumer reports score you end up appending to it. Uh. Right. That that is that is consistently in, uh, curious to me. Uh, and it's one reason why I always enjoy these conversations with you uh, when we get to chat about a game we both reviewed. Uh, but anyway, so that's been Company of Heroes 2. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for cutting this episode together. And uh, talk to you next week. Uh, Tom, been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, and uh, let, thank you for letting me take up so much of your time tonight. No, thank you for having me, and we'll do it again when the 1942 Theater of War content comes out. <laughs> well, then I will see you at Stalingrad, comrade. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Nope, not at all. I have on a, a Pokemon t-shirt with Pikachu on it, and I'm wearing a beanie with a propeller on top. In the last update, and I haven't really figured out how to fix it. It's working today, but God knows if... Oh, God. If I mouse over the ad, it... Oh, God. Okay. Oh, Jesus! Oh, my, my Lord. <laughs> That's horrible. God, this program. worst thing ever. That's worse than cancer. Oh, man, but is God. it worse than Company of Heroes? That, don't get me started. Oh, God damn, but that would have been the best segue in history.
Uh, we should get this thing rolling. Uh, oh, well, now you're worrying me. <laughs>